You're listening to The Bike Show on Resonance 104.4 FM. My name's Jack Thurston and we've been off for a couple of weeks because of Christmas and New Year falling both on a Monday, which meant that the studio here at Resonance was closed and we were unable to record the shows. So we are back on the first show of the new year with the second half, as promised, of my ride with Patrick Field, well-known London cyclist, and we pick up the ride as we arrive on the banks of the River Thames. We're now in North Woolwich, just at the uh, a few hundred metres from the pier that takes the Woolwich Ferry. So we've traversed the London borough of Newham from northwest to southeast. This area of London, the ring that we might call outer inner London or inner outer London, I think is very interesting at the moment because inner and central London is the easiest place in the whole country to ride a bicycle. It makes sense. There are lots of people doing it. There are lots of places to visit. And the motor traffic isn't much of a threat because it can't go fast. If you go into the outer suburbs, you know, in this quadrant, Barking and Dagenham, Redbridge, Barnet. These are the worst places in the country to cycle. You know, big roads cutting up the countryside, out of town shopping, households where both parents have got a car, maybe two or three growing children have got their own cars. And cycling there is difficult. It's hard to get places, the, the townscape is cut up. And in the zone between, say for example the London Borough of Newham, the people can look inwards at bicycle madness, booming bicycle lunacy, and they can look outwards at suburban motor dependent living and they're faced with a choice in a way. You know, do I want to ride my bike like the people in Tower Hamlets and Mayfair, or do I want to get a big car and drive like I live in Barking and Dagenham? To have such a cliff where the best and the worst of conditions are so close together, I think it's a little bit pretentious, but you could say it's a kind of revolutionary situation almost. So what's going to happen? How can cycling be made to work in these parts of the country? What makes me optimistic, I think, is that we're into the era of mixed messages. You know, if you rode a bicycle even 15 years ago, the message that you got from mainstream culture was really, why are you doing that? You know, it was like being part of a vanishing tribe that somehow was stubbornly refusing to vanish. And the message basically was, just give up. Nowadays, you can still be treated like vermin if you ride a bike. You can turn up somewhere and people can go, well, we don't really want your sort here. You know, regardless of who you are, just because of your mode of travel. But you can also be treated like you're some kind of uh, vanguard of the future. Things that happen in central London, things that happen in inner London, historically have not only taken over the whole country, they've taken over the whole world. Boys and girls, London calling, now don't look to us, phony people. 
for the rain and the crunch of things. The ice age is coming, the sun's zooming in. Meltdown expected, the wheat is going in. Engines stop on him, but I have no fear. Cause London is drowning I live by the river To the imitation zone Forget it brother, you can go in alone London calling to the zombies of death When you're a bicycle fanatic, it's a bit like being a doctor. People come up to you and talk. If you're a doctor, people come up to you at cocktail parties and ask about your lumbago. People were forever coming up to me and saying, oh, I'd love to ride a bike, but... And this is about 15, 20 years ago. And I quite like the sound of my own voice telling other people what to do, but anything repetitive eventually starts to get a bit boring. So I started to say to these people, well, you know, it's not that difficult. I'll lend you a bike. Let's go out for a ride. And this scared a lot of them off. A lot of them ran away going, oh, actually, I need to go and refill my glass. But one or two people took me up on it and some of them came back to me and said, oh, that's really great. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was kind of making up as I went along. And it was manifestly lunatic. You know, you do what? You teach people to ride bikes? Well, everybody can ride a bike. Why would anybody want to ride a bike? No. And I realized that there was a, a gap in the market and I started advertising just, just for fun to see what would happen. And what happens to people when they stumble on the idea of cycle training, they think that they're going to train people who can ride bikes who are frightened of sharing space with motor traffic. But actually what you get most of is people who've never learned to ride a bike, who are a kind of invisible minority in, in this city and in global terms are in the majority. So I got lots of, you know, stereotypically Asian ladies in early middle age who'd never learned to ride a bike and suddenly decided that's what they wanted to do. And by a process of accident and random motion, I developed a methodology for helping them get started. And also at the same time, I was also working, you know, stealing ideas from John Forrester in the USA, uh, John Franklin in this country, and working up a way of explaining to people how to hold space in, in traffic. So in a nutshell, what are some of the most uh, fundamental tenets of your methodology, starting from people who actually can't ride a bike at all? The most important thing for someone who's never ridden a bike is to understand that it's a bit like your first cigarette. You know, for whatever crazy reason, people think smoking tobacco will make them look like James Bond, and then they force themselves to smoke tobacco. But nobody ever picked up a tobacco cigarette, set light to it, put it in their mouth and thought, oh, this is really nice. So when you're asking someone to take their first few faltering meters on two wheels, you need to explain to them that it's not going to be nice. It's going to be horrible. It's going to feel wrong. It's going to feel dark. It's going to feel like they're falling. And the reason it feels like they're falling is because they are falling. You know, they're essentially taking a leap into instability. Because they look at people riding bikes. They see someone riding down the street eating an ice cream or making a call on their mobile phone and those people don't look as though they're in any kind of postural crisis they look as comfortable as a person sitting on a sofa watching tv and that once people understand that it's supposed to feel scary it's supposed to be wobbly you know the reason it feels as though they're falling is because they are falling 
they've got a chance to break through that barrier. And in terms of sharing space with motor traffic, you know, you need a minimal technical skill on the bicycle. You need to make an emergency stop. You need to be able to look over your shoulder. You need to be able to give bold and confident hand signals. And then you need to understand the rules of traffic, which are quite mysterious. You know, people in Brixton drive like people in Brixton and people in Barnet drive like people in Barnet. And these are the same people. People don't just drive in Barnet. They don't just drive in Brixton. But the third and final element, which is by far the most important, is this ability to negotiate with others when you are tens, hundreds of times less powerful than they are. It's, uh, they say in Yiddish, chutzpah, or in uh, Castellano, chochones. Um, and the only useful English translation, I think, is presence. You have to be there. And most of the problems that people have from riding in the traffic, I think, come down to status issues. You know, this idea that somehow they're being a bit transgressive by going onto the road with such a small amount of machinery. And I think it's a mistake to categorise people by their mode of travel. You know, I ride a bike, you know, by choice, but if I thought a Cadillac would make my life more beautiful, I wouldn't have any problem getting a Cadillac. Being anti-car is... It's a sort of infantile position, like being anti-washing machine. To go back to the issue of status, you know, the stereotypical female problem is to behave as though you're not really there. You know, I'm not really here, don't worry about me, to lurk in the gutter. And this is very dangerous. Because you can't really be surprised or disappointed if other people behave as though you're not there if you're doing I'm not really here acting as you ride down the road. So it's very important to be there to be present, to be prepared to negotiate with other people and to have the presence, the front to do that. The stereotypically male problem that comes from status issues is not so dangerous, but it's quite tiresome, which is the sort of Mr. Angry, yeah, I'm riding a bike, what's it got to do with you? You know, uh, yeah, 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 well, I'm clean and you're dirty, I'm clever and you're stupid. Uh, like, to, to imagine that the other people using the road are your enemies. Why would you get into a, a power struggle with people who are 50 times more powerful than you? you know, the, the idea is to share space, to resolve any conflicts as easily as possible. People think of it as a warrior skill because you have to be brave to begin it. You, know, you put on your, your eye protection and your hard hat and your gloves and you go and do the job. So you can see why people make that mistake, but essentially it's a female skill. It's about sharing space with others. And all the advantages that you have on a push bike are about your subtlety, your ability to change shape, you know, your ability to occupy a large space and then to disappear into a small space. Well, you're listening to The Bike Show on Resonance 104.4 FM, riding today with Patrick Field, Londoner and bicycle guru. And we've come down to the shores of the Thames um, he's just cringed when I mentioned the term bicycle guru, but uh, there we go. You know, I'm a guru, <laughs> not a bicycle guru. Well, we can look down uh, onto the shore. It sort of stopped raining briefly, and um, this is a sort of great reach here of the Thames, what they're trying to call Thames Gateway, a little bit east of Docklands. So now we are heading where exactly? We're going to cruise on the Woolwich Ferry, which is, you know, another free delight available to Londoners. This, this area used to be part of Kent administratively, North Kent, North Woolwich. And we're going to cruise across to proper Woolwich, 
and then head back upstream back towards London. Patrick and I have just boarded the Woolwich Ferry. We missed very narrowly the sailing of the Ernest Bevin, named after the great Labour statesman, former Foreign Secretary in the Attlee government. Not sure what his view on the situation in Iraq would have been. Was he a liberal interventionist? I don't know. They were certainly big supporters of um, Israel, that government, I think. And uh, I think Bevin was very much in favour of the independent nuclear deterrent. I think he, he wanted a big nuclear bomb with a Union Jack on it, I think. But anyway, we're on the, the ferry, the other one, which I don't know what this, who this one is named after. So this is a ferry which will take us from one side of the Thames to the other and for which we will not be charged. No. Well, we, we always have the option to use the foot tunnel as well, so this is entirely gratuitous, thrill-seeking behaviour, but no, it's free. And we're getting the safety information so that we know what to do in case of shipwreck. So the other passengers on this ferry are um, mostly tradesmen, I would suggest. A couple of trailers and lorries full of... Um, mud diggings yeah there, there are some foot passengers in the lounge beneath we're up here on the vehicle deck I think they're having a kind of lunchtime cocktail in the lounge uh, you don't really have time for that and they're quite strict about making sure you get off after every cruise so you're not allowed to actually sit on here all day just enjoy. go back and forth no which is a shame, really. Great I, shame. I can see their point of view. It would attract the wrong kind of crowd. Riverboat gamblers. And and we can smell, well, we could smell a kind of sugary waft of uh, caramel, which was coming from the sugar refinery 
at Silvertown. I've always suspected that it's actually called Silvertown because there's so much sugar there, but I could easily be wrong. Well, we've come a little bit upstream and we have an absolutely breathtaking view of the Thames barrier, all shimmery titanium. Is that titanium? No, aluminium? I don't think so. I guess it's aluminium. Maybe stainless steel? No, it looks too soft. I think aluminium. Looks a bit like the Guggenheim in Bilbao though. And um, the uh, steaming towers of Canary Wharf uh, just behind them. And then in front of us a kind of low tide of, of mud and rocks and weed and bit of sand. a bit of sand and a couple of, um, well, a selection of wild fowls. Are you any good at spotting uh, birds? Yeah, they're cormorants. A couple of cormorants and a tern. No, no, that's a seagull. It's a seagull? No, I think it's, it's the black and white one? Yeah, it's a lesser black-backed gull or a greater black-backed gull. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's continue on. Along the Thames path. So, in theory, one could ride all the way to the source of the Thames, somewhere uh, west of Oxford. And yeah, you'd be walking some of it, I think. Uh, a beautiful thing about travelling by bike is, you know, when we came off the Woolwich Ferry, we can do a couple of kilometres on a big dual carriageway with the trucks and the buses, moving really fast, no problem. And then when it suits us, when there's a nice path on the waterfront, we can go back to being assisted pedestrians. And it's this flexibility, it, it, it's fantastic. I, I do have, uh, I have to confess, a conviction for dangerous cycling dating back from the 20th century, which, you know, I'm not really proud of. Uh, what were I, you doing? I, I have paid my debt to society. I scared some young fellas in a car and they happened to be metropolitan policemen. And, it, you know, I mean, I wasn't actually being dangerous, but I was being a bit scary. They could have panicked and some danger could have ensued. But uh, what were you actually doing? I was uh, going the wrong way around to keep left bollard on a zebra crossing close to Trafalgar Square. Well, I'd but say it, that's a hangable offence. I think I... I Did was, you spend a night in the tower? No, I went to... No, 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 I didn't. I wasn't even uh, detained, but... And I didn't have to go to court. I pleaded guilty by post. I think it was 100 quid or something. But, um, you know, I'd been commuting to Watford in the weeks before, along the A41, the A1 and the North Circular. And I realised in retrospect that I was using the same style of riding that I'd been using on the A1, the A41 and the North Circular in Trafalgar Square on a Friday night. And it was inappropriate. The important thing is to suit your style of riding to the conditions, you know, to be able to ride politely amongst pedestrians and dog walkers, not only not putting them in danger, but equally not even letting them feel in danger. And when you become the soft traffic, you know, when you're on the North Circular at 6.30 on a weekday evening, to be big and bold and deploy a two-ton ego to keep yourself safe. And it's being able to switch between these different personas. Yeah, it was a learning experience. Well, we're travelling on the Thames Path, a section of the Thames Path that I've never ridden on before, going right through kind of cement works and industrial zones. I guess it used to be 
like this all the way up to to Lambeth and beyond uh, dockside London before it all became apartments and office buildings and cultural space. Yeah, there was 20 years in between it being disused and it becoming yuppified when it was just used for car chases in the Sweeney. <laughs> I remember as a child always having a fascination with the idea of quicksand. You know, one foot in it and you were gone. Yeah. And now that looks like it's a real, that's this kind of oozy mud that would... Yeah, you'd definitely lose That would wellies. tell no tales. You'd lose your wellies, that's for sure. I think you might entirely perish. Although maybe you've got a bit of a gravel, a gravel base underneath. I think the trick with quicksand is don't struggle. Try That's what they say, but you know, I think when you're going down, you know, it's hard not to. Oh, Patrick's rear wheel has succumbed to the cyclist's enemy, the puncture, and he's going to effect rapid mending. Um, we're still on the south bank of the Thames, just below Canary Wharf. I've got a terrific view of a man operating a crane who seems to be shifting sand off the shore or off a boat or a barge into uh, a kind of industrial site. Um, can't give any more explanation than that of what is going on. Upstream there's a good view of the Naval College and a couple of excellent pubs, namely the Cutty Sark and the Trafalgar. The pub always a temptation for the touring cyclist. Ye mariners all, as ye pass by, come in and drink when you are dry. Come spend, my lads, your money brisk, and pop your nose in a jug of this. Ye tipplers all, as ye pass by, come in and drink when you are dry. Come spend, my lads, your money brisk, and pop your nose in a jug of this. Ye tipplers all, if ye've half a crown, you're welcome all for to sit down. Come in, sit down, think not amiss, to pop your nose in a jug of this. Oh, now I'm old and can scarcely crawl. I've a long grey beard and a head that's bald. Crown my desire, fulfil my bliss. A pretty girl and a jug of this. Oh, when I'm in my grave and dead, and all my sorrows are past and fled, transform me then into a fish. And let me swim in a jug of this. Ye manners all as ye pass by, Come in and drink when you are dry, Come in, sit down, think not amiss, To pop your nose in a jug of this. Well, we're now inside the rather fabulous wood-panelled hexagonal lift which 
takes people down to the beginning of the Greenwich foot tunnel. No cycling in the foot tunnel, so we'll be walking our way across. Why not? If I'd been in a hurry, I wouldn't have come this way, as they say. Well, we're now beneath the mighty River Thames in a, a tunnel that dates from, I don't know, this must be a Victorian thing like many of the great engineering feats so, yeah. of, of this city. Late 19th century. It's got a lovely glazed white brick uh, walls and a beautiful curve that really gives that sense of being in a tunnel. I don't know if it's for engineering reasons that tunnels have this circular shape. I don't know, do they, stronger, do, do they, yes. do they make it stronger, does it? Yeah, no weak point. Rather like a bicycle wheel. We've come along from North Greenwich. Is that what, where the other side of the foot tunnel is? Um, what do they call it? Millwall. Millwall. Through the Isle of Dogs to Wapping. This is the Wapping Project, which is an art gallery cafe and a quite expensive but nice restaurant. But the reason I like it is because this building, believe it or not, used to be a power station. But a very particular kind of power station. You see the water tanks up there? The coal chimneys. So this is a red brick building of not very great height or scale. With uh, iron water tanks on the roof, it was a hydraulic power station. And hydraulic power was used in places where they wanted silent machinery. And they piped pressurised water from here all the way through the city into the West End for use in hotels and theatres where they wanted silent power. I think it ran until the 1960s when it was closed down and then they sold off the pipe network for carrying telephone cables or something like that. But I like it because it shows there are many twists and turns in the development of human progress. And, you know, this was a successful operation for a long time in the 20th century. But it's a cul-de-sac. No one pipes pressurised water around to move lifts or theatre machines nowadays. Not in the era of electricity. No, but this, this persisted long through the era of electricity. But it just shows the future. We don't know. Do people have to have their own cars forever? Maybe they'll have happier lives if they use bicycles. You want a cup of coffee? Good be, sure. Transport revolutions, when they happen can happen very quickly. You know, we started on the Regent's Canal. All the canals in Britain, pretty much without exception, were dug in two short periods of maybe 15 or 20 years each, a couple of little booms around the turn of the 19th century. And all they had really were men with picks and shovels, a few donkeys, a little bit of dynamite. Did they, do you think they paid back their investment because they went out of business you know, with the railways pretty rapidly? No, there was a boom. There was a boom. The first ones made loads of money and then everybody thought this is the way to make money but the people at the end got their fingers burnt 
and mostly they were used to construct the railways. You know, normally when you find a canal, there's a, a railway in the same corridor. And that was the, like the last great hurrah of the canals was to bring the iron in to build the railways and take out the, the spoil from the cuttings and the bricks for the bridges. That was in the 19th century. Nowadays, you know, we've got all kinds of amazing things, electric light, computers, telephones. You know, when people decide to change, change can happen very quickly. What drives that kind of change? Uh, people in pursuit of a better life. You know, they see something that will make their life better. You know, you don't change people essentially by making them feel guilty. And, and so much of the, the environmental imperative is sold to people as you've got to give things up. You know, you've got to do without this. Rather than saying, wouldn't your life be better if you lived simpler? You know, do you need all this stuff to make you feel all right? You know, it used to be we were fighting nature to get a maximum bounty from the world. And we wanted a big bonfire to keep the bears away. Nowadays, the problem is not the bears. The bears are signals of biodiversity. They're our furry friends. The problem now is the bonfire. And the idea of human organisation as a waste management issue. You know, it's, it's all new. So the future is, is for us to make. You've been listening to The Bike Show on Resonance 104.4 FM. That was a ride with Patrick Field. The Bike Show will be back again next week. Until then, chapeau.